A huge good morning to everybody at Bolingbrook and at the 95th Street campus and Hobson and Wheaton. Just great to be with you all for the conclusion. I'm kind of bummed that this series is over. I have so enjoyed studying Daniel with you, but this series is the first six chapters that deal with the drama, the, the, the narrative flowing through Daniel and his three friends. I want to start uh, today's message by telling you of kind of an adventure I had uh, some years ago. I had opportunity to go over to Israel to do a filming project where I kind of taught on location to the video camera. And the, the video guy is a good friend of mine. He and I did some side trips that were a lot of fun. One of them was I wanted to find this catacomb. Uh, I had discovered through my reading that they had excavated a 2,000-year-old underground system of tunnels and burial chambers. And I'm like, how cool is that? And so I had my books that told me where it was at, but nobody knew where it was at when I talked with folks. Sometimes what they do is they excavate it, document it, and abandon it. And that's what happened here. This was in the middle of some banana field, believe it or not. I'd never been in a banana field before. But we're walking through the banana plants, and finally I came upon it. Here's a picture of me outside of the entrance to this underground catacomb. Uh, Funny story. So we go, let's explore it. And so me and my buddy got our flashlights, and we start going in, and we literally had to climb over open caskets. They call them sarcophagi. They're stone caskets, and ancient grave robbers had pulled the stone tops off of them, and uh, I couldn't tell what was in them. They had debris and leaves and dust, but I'm crawling over the tops of them, hoping something doesn't reach out, you know, and grab me. My heart is pounding, and I'm like, whoa. As we get over the caskets, we st- I mean, there's cobwebs just covering the entirety of the tunnel. And so thankfully, I go, buddy, you're, you go first. And uh, he was knocking them down. And eventually, we came around this corner, entering into a chamber when we encountered a mountain lion. Can you believe that? Now, to be fair, I, I didn't see the mountain lion, but I heard him growl. I'm not an expert in mountain lion growl. It could have been a panther or a raccoon or a large squirrel. I don't know. It was an animal, all right? It was an animal and it was scary because it made its animal sound and I freaked out. My buddy and I are, and we ran back the way we can. I mean, no love for each other. I'm pushing him out of the way and uh, crawling over these caskets and you know, finally reemerge out of this, you know, heart pounding. I'm like, what was that? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, you need to go find out what that was, you know. And he's like, I'm not going, you go. And we both tried to muster up the courage to re-enter and see what wild animal that was. But we're chickens. <laughs> and so we, I just posed for my picture out here and no more. Am I going in? Well, uh, just the terror I experienced of being in a underground, confined space with a wild animal gives me a little bit of understanding of the horror that our friend Daniel experienced in the passage. We're gonna, you're like, come on, Daniel and the lion's done, Jeff? He, here, yes, here's the picture. 
Daniel was not with large squirrels. These were real lions. And unlike me, I had a way out of my dungeon. He had no way out. Friends, the horror of his experience, and yet the glory of the miracle that the Lord brought. Just to give you the context, first, I love this painting. It's done by Britton Riviere uh, back in 1871. And uh, he just did a fantastic job capturing the wonder of this miracle. The Persians love lions. The king had a collection of his own pet lions, if you will. And he found a way to both execute criminals and feed his lions with the same act. And so this is how they commonly executed people. You'll see in the picture we got a bone, a human bone and flesh. These lions were made hungry and when the person was thrown in, they would literally attack before the person even hit the ground. And they would just shred them and chew and eat just like that. But it didn't happen in Daniel's case. Though his hands were bound and though he hit the ground, he did a miracle, God did a miracle, and Daniel described it in this way, the Lord sent his angel to protect me from these lions. Look at this. I mean, this lion is twisted in contortion and confusion because its instincts are telling it to do what it always does, and yet something is holding it back and stopping it from attacking. This lion's eyes are bulging as he perceives a power unlike anything he's ever experienced before. And this mighty lion is cowering in fear of of the dynamic of God in this room. Isn't that incredible? What a miracle. If you grew up in church, you know about Daniel in the lion's den. It's a very popular story. And yet not as popular is the cause of what got Daniel into this trouble. Do you know what he did to get himself at least an attempt to execute him? Well, it turns out that the crime he committed is on display in this painting as well. As you look at Daniel's head here, it is slightly bowed in prayer. Friends, it was prayer that was illegal for 30 days that Daniel violated that law and got him in this predicament. Let's study this, shall we? In one glorious verse, we can really find the essence of his crime and an example for us to follow. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It's on page 889 in the Bible that we provide. One verse, it says this, he, and that's Daniel, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Friends, this verse is underlined and circled in my Bible. I have found it to be an inspiration and a guide regarding this theme called prayer. And so let's study it together, shall we? I want to just kind of pick it apart, phrase by phrase, and really spend some time meditating on what it has to offer. Let me start with this simple, he went home and prayed. Sounds pretty simple until you understand the context. Where is he going home from? He's going home from work. And in Daniel's case, his work was the government headquarters. Daniel had for a long time, his whole 
career. Worked for the government. As a teenager, he was a Jew and they had been conquered by the Babylonians. Many of the people dragged away from Israel into exile. And Daniel had been brought to the capital city of Babylon where he was forced to enter into an indoctrination process to prepare him for service in government office. Daniel and his three friends had worked in the government, the Babylonian government, and achieved high-ranking positions. But we learned last week in Daniel 5 that the Babylonian Empire fell to the Persians. The Persians came in and conquered. But now, though Daniel is an old man at this point, probably 80 years old, Daniel's an old man, but the Persian government recognizes he's a wise old man. And the new Persian king, King Darius, says, you know what, I want you now working for me. And Daniel was in government position again. In fact, he had been promoted so high that at this moment, King Darius, king of Persia, had announced that Daniel's going to rule the whole land. He'll be number two under me. I'm giving him the highest level of position, save my role. And the other government officials were wild with jealousy considering Daniel's promotion. So much jealousy that they said, you know, we got to get this guy killed. We got to get rid of him. And so they looked for some way to get him in trouble. But Daniel lived a godly, squeaky clean life. And they they resolved that there's no way we're going to get him in trouble except as it relates to his devotion to God. There's got to be something there. And they came up with a plan. They came to King Darius and they they said, King Darius, we have a proposal. Our empire is vast. We've got all these conquered nations. They all have different religions and gods. I think we'd achieve great unity if for 30 days, just one month, if for one month we prohibited people from looking to their God for help and we said for 30 days we're going to ask everybody to look only to the king for help. Uh, the king's like, well, yeah, you know, that would kind of elevate my status in the land and it would unify us, you know, for a time. I wouldn't want to go beyond 30 days, you know, let the people return to their religion. But for 30 days, that seems uh, reasonable. And these guys said, king, if you wouldn't mind, sign this document here. Let's get it in paper and make sure that it's irrevocable. And the king's like, okay. And he didn't realize that his good friend Daniel was going to be in so much trouble as a result of this law he foolishly signed. And it was when Daniel got note of this prohibition of prayer for 30 days that we find Daniel went home and prayed. I love it. What's that? I can't pray? What shall I do? I shall pray. And he runs and he goes and he prays immediately. How about you? If you found out there was a law that said you can't pray for 30 days. If you do, you'll be executed by being eaten by lions. I think many of us would say, I think I'll do without prayer for 30 days. Some of us go without prayer for 30 days without even realizing it. But to Daniel, it was unthinkable. Prayer was so integrated into his daily life that not to pray was not to live. And so Daniel said, no, that's one law. I know I'm a government official. I'm a lawmaker. I cannot be a law abider in this particular case. And so Daniel went home and prayed. Not only did he pray, he prayed three times a day. Let's highlight that. Three times a day. You know, some of you say, was there an Old Testament requirement that you have to pray three? No. This has nothing to do about requirement. 
This has to do with desire and need. Daniel, what were the three times? Let's guess. Uh, Morning, noon, evening, maybe? It's as if Daniel says, I, you know, prayer is like air that I breathe, like food for me to eat. I mean, I can make it through the morning because of my connection with God earlier in prayer. But it runs out. I need to pray again for the afternoon to be doable and again for the evening to be a joy. Daniel needed to pray. In fact, uh, it's a little surprising because he was, I'm going to argue, the busiest man in the empire. You know, highest position, save the king. And with that responsibility comes busyness. And so many of us say, I'm too busy to pray. Daniel would say, I'm too busy not to pray. Daniel would say, because of my busyness and my heightened responsibility, all the more reason I must pray. He broke from his heavy responsibilities three times a day to walk home to spend time with God in prayer. Wow, that's a man prioritizing this opportunity and privilege called prayer. I wonder if we do. Here, let's highlight this window thing went upstairs to his room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem, and that's where he prayed. What's the deal with the windows open toward Jerusalem? Well, let, let's, let's talk about that. There's nothing in the scriptures that indicate we have to do this, though it was described prophetically by King Solomon long before Daniel. The son of King David was Solomon. Solomon was the one who built the temple in Jerusalem. And they had this huge celebration dedicating the temple. And it was at the dedication of the temple that Solomon said words that I believe were prophetic. Solomon said at that happy event, he said a gloomy prophecy. He said, what if someday... Enemy nations conquer this land and drag God's people out of their homeland to distant lands as exiles. Solomon said, if from those distant lands, they will pray, looking toward this land, toward this city, and toward this temple, Lord, answer their prayer. And Solomon probably had no idea why he was saying this. God was putting this prophetic word on his heart at that dedication. But Daniel lived it out. Daniel was in a distant, godless land called Babylon. But when he prayed, he threw open the windows that gazed toward Jerusalem. A reality he couldn't see, it was too far away. But he could imagine it. And he could imagine all that it stood for. See, that's the key. Jerusalem stands for the kingdom of God. It's his capital city. It represented his activity on planet earth. And when we pray, we should throw open the windows and gaze to the kingdom of God. Friends, uh, particularly for those of us who live in Babylon, and we, we all do for the record, Babylon is this place where the culture opposes our God and our ways. And, and if your windows are closed... And all you can see is the painful reality of Babylon, the physical realm. That's a hard place to live. But prayer expands our horizon and invites us to see and interact with and rejoice in the invisible kingdom, the the spiritual realm. Prayer is when we say, oh Lord, there's more than Babylon. 
There's your great cause. And through prayer, we interact with God and we see God at work in our lives and through our lives. And the glory of the spiritual reality fills our hearts. We may live in Babylon, but we don't live for Babylon. We live for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Abraham was said in Hebrews 10, it said of Abraham that he never felt at home where he lived because his heart yearned for a city whose foundation was built by God. And that's who we are. We never feel entirely at home in Babylon. We long for the kingdom of God, for the spiritual better realities that abound. And if you don't pray, your windows are closed and you're missing out on the best part of life. But if and when you pray, this becomes just a part of your life and this becomes the glory of your life. Prayer is what opens the window to God and all he's doing. Why is, man, this Daniel. Daniel said, oh man, let's, let's pray and let's open the windows to Jerusalem and all that it stands for. All right. Let's go on to his upstairs room, shall we? So far, we've kind of been talking about what, you know, prayer is. You say, all right, I get it. I want to throw open the windows of prayer. I want to interact with God on a uh, regular basis. I want it to be the fuel that gets me through the day like Daniel. I'm, I'm all set, Lord. Let's do this thing. But now we're going to get real practical. How do we do this thing? Well, here, you got to have a place. Daniel had a place. He had identified this room in the upstairs of his house as the best place to pray. It became his prayer closet, if you will. Do you have a place? Friends, you, you don't have to pray in the place. You can pray beyond it. But many of us have established this habit of gathering and pursuing him daily in our place. Uh, maybe for you, your place is, you know, your kitchen table with a cup of coffee. It's distraction-free and you love it. Others of you are like, no, no, that's not it for me. It's my chair in my living room or, or that path by our house where I love to take a walk and talk with God. For me, it's at my desk. I have a little photo here of my desk, and this is sacred ground for me, my friends. I meet with the Lord every day, and I love it. When you have a place, it's like when you arrive there, it's like, I know what I do here. I pray. And we just turn to it because it's sacred ground. Get a place, all right? Let's go to the next slide. So the place, now let's go to the kneeling. Let's highlight this. Down on his knees. Place and posture. What's the significance of this posture? Well, I'm guessing on this first. I'm pretty certain on the second. But I see two things in this uh, posture. I think the one that I'm guessing on is that the posture helps him stay alert. Uh, when you're an old man, getting down on your knees is painful. And I can imagine Daniel going, ah, oh, 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 okay, I'm there. Let's do this. You know why the, the pain served him? <laughs> Kept him alert. You know, if you get in the lazy boy and crank it back, all right, Lord, let's pray. Yeah. You're going to fall asleep, right? But you got to be alert if your prayer time is going to be good. And some of you are like, that's why I got my cup of coffee. That's strategic. You know, the caffeine helps. I would say that's why I got my prayer journal. Um, I love to write out my prayers. It's how I stay alert. If I just kind of pray, my mind drifts and I get sleepy and 
Something about putting pen to paper and writing out my prayers helps me stay focused. So you got to stay alert. The one I'm certain about, though, about this kneeling was not the alertness as much as the encounter with the king. Daniel bowed on his knees because he knew he was in the presence of the king of kings. You see, when you go into the throne room and approach the king, you have to bow, showing reverence to his majesty. And Daniel understood that prayer is an encounter with the king. It's entering the throne room of God. Some people see prayer as like sending an email off to a God who's far away. No, that's not it. Prayer is coming face to face with God. He's there. And Daniel understood it until he got down trembling on his knees in acknowledgement of the majesty and presence of Almighty. So push through that. When I pray, I'll say, Lord, I just want to pause and recognize you're real. Not, Not only are you real, you're here. You're in front of me, attentive and eager to hear what I have to say and what I will write. That remembering that he's there is really an important part of prayer. What do we have next? Giving thanks. Oh, this is good. Some of you say, what do I pray about? You know, I want to throw open the window of prayer and I want to press into the presence of God and I want to feed on his power throughout the day in prayer. But I'm here. I got my prayer journal. What do I say? The content of what you pray is really important. So let's talk about that. One of the things you can do is give thanks. Daniel chose to recognize the various blessings in his life and turn to God in prayer and say, thank you for that and for that. But that's not all. I'm not going to read it now. You can read it in your own time. But the next verse, verse 11, says that these government officials who wanted to get him in trouble went to his house and they found him praying. And it adds, and asking God for help. So Daniel's prayer content was diverse. It had thanksgiving and it had cries for help. And these different topics remind me of an outline that has served me so well. Jesus actually gave us guidance on prayer in the prayer that's called the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Can I show you what I do? Uh, Here in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, we actually have four categories of prayer. Uh, Both of the two that Daniel did are found in these four. I'll, I'll point them out. The first is revere. The Lord's Prayer has this, hallowed be your name. Jesus says, spend some time revering or praising God. Holy be your name. Now, when I praise God in prayer, I always revere him for two things. Who he is and what he's done. I celebrate and say, God, I love who you are and what you've done. Praising him for who he is. I'll tell you how I do that. I find an aspect of his character revealed in my daily Bible study. It's amazing to me how every time I turn to the Bible, I'll say, Lord, show me your heart. Reveal a bit of yourself in my Bible study. And inevitably, I find some aspect of who God is. And then I turn in prayer and I'll write down the reference to the passage And I'll say, Lord, I just saw your heart. I love that you're that way. Today I was in Isaiah 64 where Isaiah cries out, Lord, rend the skies and come down. And I'm like, Lord, I love. You're the kind of guy when we cry out, you you come in power like a hero swooping in to save the day. I love that about you. And I wrote that down in my prayer, revering him for who he is. 
Uh, remember what I said? Uh, I revere him for who he is and what he's done. Now, when you revere him for what he's done, you're giving thanks, what Daniel did in his prayer. When you say, Lord, you've done great things, I, I praise you for the cross of Christ. He died on my behalf to give me forgiveness and life eternal. I praise you for what you've done in providing for my needs. I praise you for what you've done in bringing me people that I love. You're giving thanks. So revering him for what he's done is giving thanks. So I revere him for who he is and what he's done. And then revival. Pray for revival. Pray for the cause of Christ to advance. Remember Jesus said, your kingdom come. This is an invitation for God to advance his kingdom. May his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus announced the inauguration of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at work. And we should pray for God's kingdom to advance. That's for revival. Lately in my prayer journals, I've been writing Explore God Chicago. I write the word revival, and then I add a sentence or two of prayer regarding revival. And lately it's been, Lord bless, Explore God Chicago. May many churches find you doing a work resulting in the salvation of souls. May thousands come to Christ as a result of this. I'll also pray for revival in my family members. Lord, be with Janae and Jorah and Jake. Win their hearts. Show them your presence and love. Draw them to wholehearted devotion to you. I pray for revival in our church. I pray for revival in our country. I pray for revival in our world. It's so important because we tend to gravitate to selfish prayer. You know, we're like, Lord, let's pray about my favorite topic, me. I got problems and I want... And the Lord's like, hey, we'll get to you, but why don't you pray about my agenda first? And revival is where we prioritize God's agenda above our own and say, I'm going to pray for the advance of your kingdom. And then we'll get to my request. In fact, let's do that now. Jesus does invite us to pray, give us our daily bread. That's our request. Yes, we, it's, it's appropriate to bring your need. That's what Daniel was doing when he prayed for help. Lord, I'm going to get thrown in a lion's den. I could really use some assistance here. We should bring our requests before the Lord and feel that peace knowing that he has heard and will help. One more, repent. Jesus said, pray this way. Give us, forgive us our trespasses. That's bringing your sin and your failure before the Lord. Friends, this sounds bad. It's actually glorious. When you just are racked with guilt going, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I look at that? To be able to just say, dear God, by the grace of Jesus Christ and his blood shed on the cross, forgive me of this sin. And in that moment, the shame and the guilt can be chased away as you embrace the forgiveness offered in Christ. So this is what I do every time. I, I revere revival, request, and repent, and that leads to a great prayer time. So there's content. Let's go to the next slide. David, or Daniel prayed, uh, you know, about thanks and help and had a diverse topic of prayer. Let's go to this. His God. 
That sounds insignificant at first glance, but that simple three-letter possessive pronoun, his, is actually significant. It's pointing to the fact that Daniel and God were tight. He said, God, you're my. You're not just the God. You're my God. You are mine, and I am yours. And there was this intimate bond expressed in prayer. Jesus invites us in the Lord's Prayer to call him Father. Other times we're told, call him Abba, which means Daddy. Friends, this intimacy of connection to the Lord should characterize your prayer life. If your prayer is like viewing God as some king, distant and cold and removed, no. This is love. If you're his, he's yours. And together you are meeting to declare affection. And prayer should be warm and intimate as you're talking with one whose life is knit and bonded to yours or yours to his. He is Abba, Dad. All right, well, one last, and that's this. Just as he had done before, I would use the word habit. You know, uh, Daniel had a habit. He didn't do this three times a day on this day for the first time. No, this was his routine. It was his habit. There's a power in repetition of activities. God made us, made the human brain to form habits. Now, it's got a downside with bad habits, but it's got an upside with good habits. When you do something repeatedly, like driving home from work the same way, scientists have discovered that the brain forms these neural pathways that just repeat again and again. You don't even have to think about it. You just do it. That's the power of habits. Now, habits are hard to start, but once started, you know, once you have your routine of, man, I just get up at the same time, cup of coffee, Bible, prayer, journal, this is what I do. When you get into that habit, it just happens, and that's awesome. At first, it's been said, at first we make our habits, and then our habits make us. Isn't that true? We, we work to create these patterns of life that will serve our spiritual development well. And once we've established those habits, our life is marked by them. You want to know what made Daniel so extraordinarily close to God with the power of God apparent in his life? Here you go. This is how he lived. This is what he did. It was his habit. I always wondered, what made A.W. Tozer so extraordinary? He's a Chicago pastor of a past generation, wrote the book, The Pursuit of God, had a huge impact, his writings did, in my life. And in Tozer's writings, I would just say, man, this guy knew God, and he's got a joy that he finds through the love of God. And I'm like, I want some of that. How did he get that? And then I discovered, I read one of Tozer's biographies, and in his biography, his uh, sister, her name is Essie, tells a story of when Tozer was 18 years old and when she was even younger. They were living in Akron, Ohio, packed in this little house. They had six kids, two parents, and two boarders. They were so uh, challenged for finance that they had to rent a room to two guys. And they didn't have a room to spare, but if they were going to make ends meet, they needed to do this. Packed house. Essie said mom had asked her to go down into the little teeny cellar to get a, a jar of fruits. So she was down there getting it when, to her shock, her brother, A.W. Dozer, walks around the corner from the furnace. Freaked around. She's like, 
A.W., what are you doing down there? And he's like, come here. And he comes around the furnace, and there's just this little teeny space between the wall and the furnace. Spaces of a premium when you're in a packed in a house like that. And Tozer had scrubbed the wall and the floor and made it all clean, and he had shoved in this teeny little table and this narrow little chair, and he had a candle, and he goes, I've got my own place to pray. And she was kind of like, whatever. And she said, every day, multiple times a day, my 18-year-old brother, who was a brand-new Christian at the time, would go down into that little spot and pray. And I'm like, all right. I had asked, how did you get so close to God? Now I know. It was the habit of prayer that transformed his life and made him an extraordinary man of God. Now, in that cellar, there were no literal windows, but spiritually the windows were flung wide open to the spiritual reality of God's invisible kingdom, to the activity of God. And Tozer in that place connected with a world bigger than the one he had known before, one that filled his heart. And so I return to this question. Friends, are you devoid of prayer? Are you living your life with the windows shut? If, if that's the case, all you've got is the physical realm, Babylon, and it, it ain't that fun. You're missing out on the best part. But if you throw open the windows of prayer, you are invited into an eternal dynamic and realm and reality. You will taste of the presence of God and speak to him and hear him speak to you of his love. And he will call you and lead you and empower you and use you. And you will be caught up in the marching forward of this eternal kingdom. And you will taste of life, true life, only through prayer. I think we should pray. God, I thank you for Daniel. We thank you for Daniel at all campuses. We thank you for Daniel. We thank you that you recorded this guy's story. Though he lived 2,500 years ago, we can still read of what made him extraordinary. And God, we want to do likewise. We're undisciplined. We struggle to perceive you sometimes. But don't let us give up. Please, God. Give us a fire of desire. Give us a passion to press in, to form the habit, to find the place, to develop the approach, and to connect with you in life-giving, life-altering ways. God, please make us a people of prayer. Make us a church of prayer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.